0: Welcome to episode 38 of Cinebabel. This is part two of our excursion into the grand ye olde year of 1994, the year of our Lord. Still falling through time to 1994. Yeah. Uh, We're having a good time with all things 1994. We've spent already way too much time in this year, but hey, we got more to talk about. But before we get back to 1994... I do have to take a break and kind of pull us into the future, if you don't mind, Clint. To the present? To the present and beyond. Uh, Wow. And I think we need to pay a brief visit to the, uh, the Trailer Trailer.
1: Welcome to the Trailer
0: Trailer. I hear it pulling up. I do I do? It's it's always it's just it's just that warm and comfy cozy feeling of of something that's just like that's home. It is that's home. It's like
1: your grandmother's home. Inside. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh,
0: so it smells and all. <laughs> it smells like sugar cookies in here that are slightly burned. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, this this past week or two weeks ago, I can't remember now. A trailer was released and it has taken the internet by storm and it is not the new trailer for Lamb although i highly recommend going and seeing the new trailer for <laughs> Lamb. Uh it is the trailer for uh the fourth matrix film mm-hmm. which is being called uh you know the matrix resurrection. Resurrection. Resurrections. Resurrection. We're all being resurrected. I don't so. know. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Reloaded uh, Revolutions and Resurrections. Um and and it was it was a flashy trailer, lots of things on there and lots of Uh, interesting things that kind of caught my eye my son absolutely lost his mind yeah and just you know this is this is the next phase of real movie making to him Mm -hmm. Uh, Clint what what'd you think of the Matrix trailer um well yep there it is (laughs) I knew you just can't feel joy, can you, Clint?
1: You just can't. I just don't care about the Matrix anymore. Do (laughs) do we all, does anyone care about the Matrix still? A
0: lot of people do. Like Uh, like if you go online, this trailer, people were losing their minds. I know, I went and
1: I did see that, but I was like, why do we still care about
0: the Matrix? (laughs) Weren't the last two not that great? Well, so there's this whole new underground movement. They, if you've been, where in. people are just like the the Matrix sequels are are wildly underrated, uh-huh. and and we need to revisit them, and and they're much better and ahead of their time than we thought. And and I've I've revisited them several times, thinking I had to miss something, or maybe they're better than I thought. Yeah. No, no, they're they're not. Yeah. I appreciate your opinion, but <laughs> you're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it's it's not that they're bad. I don't think they're the worst things ever made, but they're they are not that first film. I
1: know I like enjoyed them while I saw them, mm-hmm. but they they it's, they never stuck in my mind
0: afterwards. Oh, and that's I I always I remember after I don't know if you came to see Reloaded with us in the theater. I'm pretty There's sure was a I did. bunch of people, yeah. but when we all left, we loved Reloaded. But I remember it was either John or me or somebody said, "But if Revolutions is bad." It's going to ruin Reloaded because Reloaded really sets up a lot of stuff, and if they pay it off, uh, you know this might be just this amazing movie trilogy. And sure enough, uh, Revolutions really is the part that underwhelmed me, and then in retrospect, Reloaded really lost its luster. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what I'm going to Resurrections with. It's it's this very it's not even cautious optimism. It's it's honestly cautious pep- pessimism. Yeah, <laughs> it's.
1: I just don't have any interest. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking I'm just so far, like, I just don't think about The Matrix anymore. Like, I I, I enjoyed The Matrix when it came out, but it's not something where for the past 20 years I've been, I just can't wait for that. Next Matrix yeah. movie.
0: Well, and in my world, it, that's one of those movie series I just basically pretend are not a series. Right, I, yeah. I just watched the first one, and I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing that intrigues me in this trailer is at different times you see shots of, in the background, the original Matrix movie playing projected on a giant wall. Mm. And so I feel like the the first trailer at face value is exciting and flashy and colorful, But it looks very ordinary. But there are things happening in the background that at least make me wonder, what are they doing there? Mm -hmm. Because if they're in this fourth Matrix, they're seeing images in the background of the first Matrix movie. Is this just supposed to be flashbacks or is he seeing, uh, you know, a a simulation within a simulation? Are they going to try to say that the whole first three movies weren't real? Uh Is he a new incarnation of the one? Is it so – there's a little bit of me that's curious, but not like I was when the first film came out and it was "What is the Matrix?" Right? Like I got to go see this movie because I want to know. Yeah. Um, I just I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like I like Keanu Reeves and everything. I think I'm I'll probably see it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Um, but my. <laughs> like overarching, like feeling for even the Matrix in general is like, yeah, the, like it was, it was fine. Yeah. It was a fine l- little group of movies, but I don't no. know.
0: I and part of me just wishes that they were just uh, extra bold and just have start off your scene where you realize that Neo has been in whatever this little cryostasis is the whole time, mm-hmm. and the John Wick movies are just. <laughs> And the Bill and Ted sequels, <laughs> and and just all of it, everything he's done in his career mm-hmm. are just loops they're running just for super Neo. Meta. Just yeah. To, yeah, go go crazy meta and play with his career, and it'd be a terrible movie. Yeah, but I would enjoy it more probably than what we're going to get, and and maybe not. Maybe it'll be fine. The action looks very competent. Um, yeah, yeah. I I don't know if we'll ever have that moment like we had in '99 with the first Matrix where you have bullet time and you have some of these other things that I remember sitting in the theater and that movie just blew my mind Mm -hmm. because it was, it was one of the last times that I was sitting there thinking, I've never seen this before. Mm Um, you know, and it, it just, I, I don't know if I'll ever have that, that kind of feeling again, because at this point computers can do anything. So every time computers get a little better at it, it's not a surprise. Uh, yeah, no. Is is there something that you think that movies could possibly ever do that would just blow your mind that you think of as impossible?
1: I don't know, not anymore because I mean everything is so computer generated at this point. You I mean you could do anything that you can imagine like at the click of a button. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it would have to be something where the story is so revolutionary yeah. in some way that it makes you think about movies in a new way. Yeah. Um, the last time I really had that feeling, and this is going back to old school filmmaking, was the Mad Max Fury
0: Road. That's true. I did have that feeling watching that. I forgot about that. That was from the practical end. Yeah. Uh, the These people really went out in the desert and shot this.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that that gave me that feeling. That's true. I like have never... like, And that married... Some um, modern, like you know, CGI filmmaking, but to the degree where you, it wasn't. It was for background stuff, Mm -hmm. and it was for setting, like um, setting and like in the desert, and trying to make it feel more apocalyptic and stuff. Mm -hmm. And but at the center of it was all this practical, like stunt work that was so amazing um, that it that stuff didn't matter. Um, But I, I'm, I, I don't think. Any, I'm trying to think, what could you do? I think it would be stuff going back to that where you, it's a practical element that you've never seen done that way.
0: The only thing I could think of that would really wow me technically, and I don't want it. Let me make that clear. Uh-huh. But let's say 20 years from now, after Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford have died, if they could do uh, a Star Wars movie – or, or just whatever movie. I'm using Star Wars as, as an example where they use CG to resurrect old actors as their younger selves in a new Star Wars adventure or something like that. And it was just so perfectly photoreal that there's not a single hair second of Uncanny Valley. I think I literally think that's what it would take to blow my mind Don't again. you
1: think, though, that like even like two years later, the technology will progress and then you look back on it? Because like, I feel like every instance uh, probably. instance that I've felt that way almost with yeah. stuff, I look back and like I'm like, oh, no, that actually wasn't that great. I think it could be something where like as space travel progresses, maybe it gets to the point where somebody makes a film all in space.
0: And okay, that's like yeah. a practical
1: thing, but it's like, yeah. oh, this was the first film made all in space for real.
0: And I I I could really see that. But I again I think that goes back to practical. Yeah. And practical effects. I right. don't know if there's something a computer's ever going to churn out. I, I don't know if it's possible to do something that's not going to hit the uncanny valley. But, uh, yeah. You know, there's stuff like Marvel does probably the best of it when they de age actors. But even then there's there's always a moment. Where you spot it, and yeah. you can see mm, lighting's off, skin textures off. There's something not right there. You can feel, uh, you know, that that something's off. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if we ever get past that. If we did, I think it would, it would amaze me. But it would only be once, and then it would be like, oh, now we can do this. And then it would be, do I want that? Like, do I want? Hollywood to have the ability to just go back and make an entire essentially CG animated movie with actors that are dead.
1: I think the (sighs) whole like premise of it, like knowing that it's a computer generated thing instantly for me, like I'm not amazed because it's just this, like I'm sure there's so much artistry that goes into that. There's so much technology that goes into that. But in the end of the day, I feel like it was just this computer generated thing. Th- that never grabs like on i mean it look it looks amazing but it's just like yeah. there's a flatness and some kind of separation in my mind where i cannot connect to it in an emotional way
0: have you watched star wars visions on disney plus yet the animated uh anthology of of star wars shorts
1: Mm-mm, no
0: go on disney plus it's there there nine episodes they're only like 15 minutes roughly a piece all wildly different. It's all different Japanese animation houses. Oh right, okay, excellent. I was really looking forward to that. I... It's it's and it's not it's not that every one you're going to be like I love that one. Yeah, yeah. But every single one, when I watched it, I was just like, that's high quality for that anime genre's audience. Uh-huh. So even the ones I didn't enjoy, I'm like, but for people that like that style of anime. They would love this. Yeah. It's 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 good. Yeah, the stories are solid, and they do different things. And sometimes the animation that one that that you see clips of, where it's black and white, the Kurosawa mm-hmm. style. I mean, I've watched it five or six times. I dragged Rachel down and made her watch it. I made Levi watch it. That one is just visually incredible. Yeah. Um, but. The reason I bring that up is I would 100% rather see something like that mm-hmm. with Luke, Han, and Leia yeah. that's stylized For sure. than to give me uh, a recreation of of – Actors, yep, um, and that's always going to impress me because those are the moments where I'm like the artistry of this mm-hmm. and the design impresses. It's not me. trying to trick you, yeah.
1: Like, like I feel like that's what CG is always like. It's trying to trick you to believe that this thing is real, but something that embraces like an art form or a, a very strong style, like something yeah. like that. I never, I don't have that feeling. So I feel like it's completely yeah. based on the artistry and the storytelling. Yeah. It's never a trick. Um I was I I totally forgot about that coming out and I, I was really yeah. excited it's, for it
0: it's well worth watching That's cool. and there's there's at least 4 of them 4 of them I'm in love with mm-hmm. uh and then they kind of descend from there but like I said they're all good yeah they're just not all my taste gotcha um and so yeah check that out the reason I bring all that up going back to watch this segue. I'm ready for it 1994 <laughs> is because 94 like we've already talked about last week is is it's coming after things like The Thing. Mm-hmm. There, there is an advancement in practical effects that you can see. Going back and looking at it, it's dated, yes. But like I was saying last week about Stargate, the practical effects don't date the same way in my brain as the CG effects. No. Because, again, you're not looking at technical prowess. You're looking at artistic prowess. Yeah, And there's there's a real tactile... And again, not to diminish anything that I mean, CG artists are incredible. But there's something about we put this on stage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you kept watching The Mandalorian in season two. Mm-hmm. So in Mandalorian, have you watched any of the behind the scenes? Things oh yeah, with the the oh, yeah. 360 it degree gave me sets, so much more respect incredible. for it. Oh yeah, I I had no idea yeah. that that's what was happening, and it makes sense because it looked so good. Yeah. But that's incredible to me. And, and that, that hits my brain mm-hmm. like the, the original Matrix yep. did because that's, that's something new. It's not that the CG itself is better. It's that, oh, we figured out a way to integrate the yep. actors into this world. Mm-hmm. And it elevates the performances. You, you feel everything coming up. Because the more real it feels, the more you read it, the more the actors read it. All of this, yep. And that's the thing about practical effects. And when you go back to '94, uh, you know we're going to talk about in the Mouth of Madness, and even some of the stuff in in True Lies, mm-hmm. uh, and and Clifford. Now that I think about <laughs> it, uh, but but these practical effects are grounded, and you can feel the realness of them, and you know you're not looking at something real, but at the same time, it can convey such a better sense of. Of uh, humor or horror or, or uh, you know thrills, um, yeah. Because
1: everyone's naturally like reacting to something yeah that's in that space yeah. So it always feels more like weighted and yeah. like
0: in, in a part of the world yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, even in True Lies, the Harrier jet. Ah, uh, there might be some CG and distance shots and things, but for the most part, that's they did model work and then they built a large one that they're out running around on top of, and it's yeah. it's largely a, still a practical environment, a practical prop, and mm-hmm. and they're they're actually seeing and interacting with yeah. something, and it's just it always reads. Um, Okay. And then that, that's, I guess that's my, my big concern with Matrix. Yeah. I just <laughs> And feel that was like... trailer trailer where we talked about the Matrix <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> I just, my, <laughs> my, <laughs> my concern with the Matrix is it's just going to be, uh, I remember going to the Star yeah. Wars prequels and yeah. you could just feel here are our actors and they're standing in a green room mm-hmm. and we've painted around them. And I I worry from watching that trailer that that's what The Matrix is going to be. Yeah. It's just going to be everything slathered in CG uh, with a, a couple of familiar actors running around. And they really, sort of like Toy Story 4, uh, they're really going to have to sell me on the necessity of this story in mm-hmm. this movie. Because they already, they don't have my goodwill. Oh, it's just one of the Wachowskis. But mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't have my goodwill from the second and third movie already. And so you got a lot to sell me on for the fourth one.
1: I mean, the story will have to be really carrying it, especially like because all the effects we're seeing, like now we're so used to. Like I feel like since the time like the first one came out, like that definitely like pushed filmmaking forward in a way. But now so many other things have gone past it and have used that like – Know-how and technology to do so many more interesting things. So, like the story will have to really carry it and use those elements um to just progress the story. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that <laughs> I guess that's a that's trailer trailer for you. And just let that thing pull away. Bye. You know, actually, it occurs to me. Um, and, and I don't know why I've not thought to ask this before I think I'm asking questions now that I've watched in the mouth of Madness mm-hmm. uh, about just yeah. reality and mm-hmm. things who who drives the trailer trailer I think I think next time that that we pay a visit we need to find out uh, who's who's trucking around in that thing because it's it's kind of unsettling that it just shows up and leaves and
1: uh, this might be something know. you don't want the answer to uh, maybe not.
0: Maybe not. I hope I
1: just, it's not something related to Sinetron. As long as it's not <laughs> Sinetron. I because don't want to see I the- I have a
0: feeling he doesn't have the best interest. No. And was. I just don't want to see the microchipped visage of Sinetron lean just through like the curtain the at matrix the driver's green, door. matrix like, green numbers flying by, <laughs> ones and zeros. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, today, uh, picking up from last week, we have reviews of True Lies, In the Mouth of Madness, Clifford, and The Professional. Now, let's start with True Lies. True Lies is Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a spy. Uh, his partner is Tom Arnold. Mm-hmm. He is married to Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. He has a daughter. And he uh, he has kept his spy life completely secret from his wife until inevitably terrorists uh, do their thing and force his secret out into the open with his family. The terrorists, God love them, Refer to themselves as Crimson Jihad. I still will quote this around the house. It's just like Crimson Jihad. Uh Clint, what did you think of True Lies?
1: Yeah, this was one I missed at the time. Um I and I just never got around to it. Um, but I do have a great love for like Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. in these this era of um like action film. It's a James Cameron flick. Yes, this James is- Cameron.
0: Two or three years after Terminator
1: Two, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and so I, it's just one I never thought to watch. I just missed, but I I really enjoyed it. I yes. thought it was really fun. Like it's ridiculous in a, it so many ways. Like there's a huge chunk in the middle of this film that. It doesn't even need
0: to be there, really. Everything with thinking that his his wife is having an affair to setting up the thing in the hotel. It's essentially this block of I'm trying to romance my wife. Yeah. You completely forget about the terrorist plot until in the (laughs) middle of all this, they come and get kidnapped. And then you're like, oh, yeah, there's a movie happening behind all this.
1: Right. And so there's like – Things in it that are just so implausible and it's it's ridiculous, <laughs> but like in that fun '90s action film way, like I um, what I watched, what was it, the other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie of Rollerball or oh, yeah, yeah and, uh, and that movie's ridiculous. Rollerball or uh, Running Man, Running Man, Running Man, um, Running Man, and that movie's ridiculous too. But there's this there's this thing about Arnold that is so funny to me. Just like, and it's not just his accent or anything, but it's just the choices he makes. And I like, I had sent you a clip that just completely <laughs> encapsulated like everything that's so funny to me, like where he's having this sincere moment with his wife after this big event in the film. And giant terrorist attack on a bridge, or giant, yeah, or the US that,
0: takes out this, this, these trucks carrying warheads. Yeah, uh, on the there's
1: this big action sequence with the helicopter, and he's like sincerely like glad he's see his wife after it. And he has to go back to work. <laughs> and she's like, okay, go back to work. And he goes, Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and just runs off like a little kid. And it's the funniest thing. And it's just the choices, like every level of that, like James Cameron chose to keep that take in. Yep and it's just funny so funny and enjoyable and so many instances of that throughout so it's like you can't take it seriously yeah. and it makes it so much more fun and heightened and i in a way that like i don't think they meant to do but maybe but it is a comedy
0: yeah and and you can really feel usually james cameron movies feel very tight and meticulous. Yeah, yeah. Very, not not in a bad way. You can just tell he really has a handle on exactly what's said, exactly what's going to happen in camera, exactly what's going to happen with a stunt. And that definitely is still present with all of the action scenes yeah, and yeah. things like that. But then there are just moments, I cannot imagine that this movie is word for word what was in the script because it feels, you can just feel the improv in it. Yeah, like Tom Arnold, it seems oh, like yeah. he was having a blast. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, and and so it just seems like James Cameron kind of sitting back and saying, "Let's just have fun." Yeah, yeah. And and you feel it coming through. And and the thing I love about Arnold Schwarzenegger is, and it's it's not just the voice; it's the voice, it's his body shape, mm-hmm. it's his presence, the fact that his wife thinks that this this clearly uh, chiseled bodybuilder of a man. <laughs> Just does like a a pencil pushing job. Yeah, yeah, is hilarious. Yeah, and that's the thing. In every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, everybody around him treats him as if he's this normal guy. Mm -hmm. Like the way they treat him in this is that he's Bill Paxton. That's Mm -hmm. who he looks like, but he doesn't. He looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and and I just I love that about this era where they don't feel the need to write in a reason. They don't have to. (laughs) You know, it just it just. Yeah, this large block of man with an Austrian accent uh-huh. just totally makes sense yep. as a U.S. spy in the CIA. Yeah, who his wife suspects nothing, and yeah, you know, it just it that kind of stuff is is so just wonderfully '90s mm-hmm. and cheesy in all the right ways, and it really works. And when you have somebody like Cameron that's just firing it off. Uh, like lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't even have time at points in this movie to stop laughing at one thing before the next thing happens or you shift to, uh, oh, now we're at a dramatic moment. Now we're at a sweet moment. Now we're at, um, and it just, it, I know that middle section, in a lot of movies, Michael Bay does that a lot. Yeah. And it drags. Mm-hmm. It doesn't drag here. It, no, it doesn't it really... drag. really, you already like the characters so much, yeah, and you buy into them. It's just fun to to follow along with them.
1: Like, I genuinely enjoyed Bill Paxton's performance. Yeah. I think he's hilarious yeah. in it and really fun. And I like that whole section, but it just doesn't make sense in the context yeah. of the film. Like, why? Like, okay, it would have been more fun if the Bill Paxton thing, like. He got more involved with the whole um, terrorist plot tack where he gets like, like Jamie Lee, she kind of gets pulled along for the ride through all the rest of the um, shenanigans that take place with the terrorists. Like he got tied up in it too, because there's a point where like he's there, he's like suspected of being cheating on, um, cheating with uh, with, uh, Jamie Jamie, Jamie Lee, and then he's gone. Yeah. So it would have been fun, because he was a fun character, so it would have been fun, like, oh, there's a reason now why he's he got a part- the terrorists the trucks. You yeah. Know, just, and sure. <laughs> he didn't or like he he just somehow gets pulled along yeah.
0: for all of it and he's being ridiculous. Or they think that he's her husband, so they kidnap the two of them and
1: right. That would yeah. have made sense. Like they yeah, and they don't for sure, that would have been yeah. fun. But out like outside of that kind of <laughs> like weird subplot in the middle um it, it's fun yeah it is fun yeah. it's uh, it's
0: arnold schwarzenegger on a horse yeah riding and and he's trying to jump it a, across buildings yes uh landing in a swimming pool right yeah it just he tried yeah hilarious. it's ridiculous hilarious. over the top yeah yeah i'm like
1: trying to like okay you gotta like have the uh sense of disbelief that he's able to fly this harrier jet yeah. and like in the the ability he to just like hover like I don't think they're designed to just hover like it's just like a like a they're able to take off but I don't think they can just hover outside of a building for thirty I, minutes. I'm
0: pretty sure not. I don't yeah. think they're
1: designed to do that. Certainly so,
0: not circle the building and then fire into it. And,
1: no, I don't think they're really designed to do that. But so. so there's ridiculous Maybe. things. Yeah, but
0: it's just it's fun. It's you know uh, his kid. Somehow they they figure out a way to write her dangling from a crane by the end of it. Yeah, and if yeah. you take any one of these elements and you, you spread them out on a table and you look at them, they don't make any sense together. But somehow they weave a, a fun little story that just goes set piece to set piece to set piece. And one of the things I realized revisiting this uh, the last time I watched it was – how many action movies have taken their cues from true lies? Mm-hmm. And there's just there's a lot. Uh, even the Mission Impossible films, that entire bridge sequence, mm. uh, Mission Impossible did that. And and I remember that being a great scene and getting all kind of accolades. And I remember even at the time, like, this is this is true lies. Mm. Uh not in a not in a bad way, just in a that movie gets gets homaged a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, is homaged a word? Now it is. Yeah. Anyway.
1: One thing I realized too is um how much I really enjoy Jamie Lee Curtis. Like at the time it was just like she was an actress that I didn't really pay attention to, or but after like a fish name uh, called Wanda when yeah. we did that, um, and then this, like she's like a fantastic like yeah. comedic actress and it's and I it really brings a lot to those roles. And yeah. uh she can play really funny, really sweet, just like homemaker, like sexy at times when that's required. And it's just like to like be able to do all those things and feel natural
0: is really amazing. And she adds a clumsiness. She yeah. adds she adds this, she really sells the kind of housewife yeah, angle, yeah. almost Clark Kentish mm-hmm. where uh you know she pulls something off, but then she just has this real dorky vibe to everything. Yeah where yeah. it just reminds you she is not a, a spy yeah in any way that even down to the ending is ridiculous because of that because it's uh-huh. just like wasn't this the woman who just couldn't even hold an uzi and dropped it down a step or, yeah. or a, a flight of stairs which another great 90s action moment where oh no what am i going to do about all these terrorists drawing guns on me oops i accidentally dropped this uzi and it takes while, and it out. just happens <laughs> to tumble down the stairs in a way that it never shoots her yeah but somehow just keeps going off and killing all the terrorists mm-hmm. and it just it's it's ludicrous, but it's so much fun. Yeah. I'm glad you
1: enjoyed it. I did. I was I was excited to watch it because I knew it would be a sweet spot for me where I and I'm glad I hadn't seen it before.
0: Well, there's a huge following for this film and everybody is the same thing. I can't even stream this anywhere. Where is this movie? Yeah. And so, man, I hope that hope that they release it. I cannot believe that it has not been released.
1: There must be tied up some kind of legal thing.
0: Uh, there's got to be something. Yeah. It's very strange cuz this was this was a big movie. This was like the number 4 at the box office. Mm-hmm. This is a huge hit on home video. Uh this this is this is a known movie. Mm-hmm. Uh and then I guess that's especially impressive that it continues to be so well known and remembered when it's so hard to find it. Uh, but yeah. So check out True Lies if you can track down a copy. Highly recommend it. Lots maybe of maybe
1: we can do some kind of like giveaway where somebody can win my copy <laughs> <laughs> just send it around. Yeah.
0: Yep. I wonder whatever happened. What was that movie we were sending around with Nick Cage? Was it um primal? Primal. I wonder whatever happened to Primal. We it, lost track of it in all the COVID. I wonder if it's still roaming the country. If
1: you have primal, let us know.
0: Oh man. Pay it forward. Yeah, we called it something. I forgot primal it all forward. About. Primal it forward. I don't know. <laughs> I forgot all about that movie. We were sending it to people, and then they had to send it to the next person after they watched it. Huh.
1: I hope somebody just like enjoyed it a lot, and just like I can't. Maybe they just I kept it. Yeah, I can't give just this it. Just watched it 19 yeah. times.
0: Mm-hmm. It's their Clifford. Yeah. No. If
1: primal is your Clifford, <laughs>
0: let us know. Primal's not actually good though. I'm, I'm still going to argue Clifford is genuinely good. It's just misunderstood. Hmm. But anyway, uh, our next movie is In the Mouth of Madness from John Carpenter. In the Mouth of Madness is one I am particularly a big fan of because this has got Stephen King written all over it, even though Stephen King has nothing to do with this.
1: I think it's the best Stephen King movie.
0: Right? <laughs> is it? That's ex- it feels like something he would write. And uh, in, in this movie – there is an author named Soder Kane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen King, Sodder King. but no, seriously, there's this author named Sodder Kane and he writes uh, horror novels, and the novels uh, have a particular effect on some people and and start to drive some of them mad. And so uh, there's there's a insurance investigator, which insurance investigators do not get a lot of play as main characters. but there's an insurance investigator played by Sam Neill. And he goes off to investigate uh, Soderkane's Kane's hometown and to figure out why Soderkane Kane went missing and what's happening. And, and what follows is just an a increasingly twisted uh, Lovecraftian nightmare of just dark, dark, dark stuff. Clint, what did you think of your revisit to In the Mouth of Madness? Well, I don't have the
1: nostalgia like it you did, because I did not see this at the time. I saw it maybe 10 years ago oh, okay. when you recommended it or, or handed it off to me. Um, and through the years, it progressively has got creepier. Like, I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it. And I think it gets creepier every year that I – I watch this every Halloween, if not – more than that um it's one of my favorite horror films re- genuinely um i think it really captures that like i said it's the best stephen king adaptation that's it, not an adaptation not stephen king, yeah. i think it's the best hp lovecraft film 100 percent. i think that.
0: it really um it's also not an hp love no no it, adaptation. i mean
1: it all I was reading and all the books are like references to H.P. Lovecraft or like, you know, different takes on like actual titles of his and all of the dialogue written like that's read from um, Sutter Kane's books are from H.P. Lovecraft books. So there's nice little nods in there. And but I think it really does a good job of capturing that uh, like un- undescribable thing that, about H.P. Lovecraft where it's like these horrors that you just cannot wrap your
0: head around which is the same thing stephen king does especially in the dark tower universe where he just he doesn't even try to describe it beyond a certain point it just turns into a he describes the experience or the reaction of the characters rather than showing what they're seeing
1: right and so this like so much of it is tied up in these people going mad from the writing and so that's a lot. That's an H.P. Lovecraft's, and but it's such a theme in this that you start to really fall into believing it. It's not something that's mentioned, um, and then you're supposed to just like, okay, this is making. But it's so tied into the into the uh, the this story that it feels very real. It feels like you almost start going mad with it too, and I think. This might've been a limitation in like the technology and the filmmaking, but when they go to show something that's supposed to be indescribable and like this horror from this other plane, um, they're, I don't know if they're just how they're trying to hide how they're making these monsters, um, or they're really playing into this, but like they do a really good job of not showing too much of the monsters. Yeah. Like it feels, it's always in shadow and it's mm-hmm. slimy, tentacly things, but like how it's filmed feels very true to like that Lovecraftian mm-hmm. horror. Um, so I think it really nails that.
0: There's something really disturbing to me watching characters who are very sound minded yeah slip away yeah that that really gets under my skin especially when it's a kind of a to b over the course of an entire movie you're really feeling somebody start to fray and it's not a surprise the movie opens with Sam Neill's character essentially in an insane asylum yeah so you know where this is going to head but then to go and and you're kind of smacked in the face with just him the very by the numbers normal guy. Yeah, who's like debunking people who are committing sure. fraud yeah. and like he's, he's very like logical he's skeptic. Yeah. And and suddenly to watch a character like that just just slowly lose his grip on reality mm-hmm. is really unsettling because it 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 brings with it the suggestion that there is something that will break you. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what it is, but all of us have this thing that if subjected to the proper circumstances or the certain experiences or, or whatever it is, there's something in your brain that just would not hold up to it. Mm-hmm. And when supernatural movies especially do that, that's when it gets really creepy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Exorcist is a great horror movie, and it it has a creepiness to it, but it's a different kind of thing because it never. I think the only thing is that that deleted scene where she crab walks down the steps. Mm-hmm that really kind of gives me chills mm-hmm. even the head turning it's it's too much of an effect to really give me those chills but there are there are things in this where you just feel uh things slipping away and yeah. it, it does its absolute best to put you in the the mindset of somebody who's seeing things that don't make sense mm-hmm. and that are unnatural and that i i totally get what you mean about how that gets scarier every time you watch it
1: yeah I mean it's something like in like exorcist where this has that too where the tone is so consistent mm-hmm. throughout and like you have this dark forbidding tone um mm-hmm. throughout but like Sam Neill is so pragmatic and like so like he's not in that world yet but you feel it kind of closing in on mm-hmm. him and so when he catches up to that you really feel that you really feel like okay like this is real now. Like this, he's
0: he's in in the middle of this. And there's there's a heightened sense to the performances. Yeah. It's it's an elevated movie. It doesn't feel real. No. But no. then you start to realize that because it's getting this this framework of this guy that's in an insane asylum, you're already being subjected to a story that is unreliable mm-hmm. or the visuals are unreliable, the tone is unreliable. Whatever it is about it, it gives you even in the normal moments, it gives you this otherworldly feel. Like you are not watching something that is entirely connected to reality. And I I think that's a very intentional decision. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's like, a, oh, it's just 90s schlock. Which there, there are a handful of reviews that I read about Mouth of Madness that, that point to that style and just say it's it's dated. But I think it's very intentional. I think I think it's something where – it's trying to – Carpenter's trying to put you off mm-hmm. kilter and and not let you feel at ease at any point, even when things are normal. That great scene at the beginning where they're just sitting and having this long conversation at a table yeah, yeah. about the most mundane things. And center shot, you see this guy uh, with an axe coming out of a, a, a building across the street and then walking slowly across the street. You see – crowds of people reacting to this yeah, and running yeah. and fleeing and all this craziness happening with this person just stalking towards the window mm-hmm. while these two characters are just having this very average conversation, completely oblivious. That is, um, creepy to the extreme for me.
1: Yeah. yeah especially when like the reveal of like, when he gets really close and his yep. eyes are those double pupils
0: oh. and it's just so yep. like, cause it gets
1: just Him stalking closer and closer, and then you get that like a visual is so yeah unnerving. I also think this is one of the best post like apocalyptic movies, Mm -hmm. where it really makes me feel like the world has ended. Like that whole last shot of him like getting out of the asylum and walking in like the whole the places destroyed and disheveled with papers and like him just like walking down the street and going and then seeing the movie based on what we just saw. So it makes you feel like you just saw it. It's like, are you going to go insane now? And I just think it really captures that feeling of like everything just ended.
0: It sneaks up on you because yeah. you do not expect it to be a, no, no, no. a large story. It, right. it feels very small and contained. And then you realize, oh, this is just one small part, or this was the catalyst, or this was the door opening. Yeah. But then you just get this glimpse at the end of what happened after. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to see that movie. Uh, and there's there's something about that that's just in, inherently unsettling too.
1: Yeah, and I like that it wasn't it wasn't a post apoc or not post-apocalyptic, but it wasn't apocalyptic film in the sense that like all of these monsters and horrors mm-hmm. from the other realm were released. It was a, a psyche thing where everyone has gone collectively insane, and yeah. sanity has spread. Yep, and everyone has like just gone man against man, and it's just ended.
0: And and. That idea of infectious madness mm-hmm. is also really disturbing, yeah, because it's already upsetting enough to see somebody who has lost connection or lost touch or you can tell and it's it's not even you know heightened movies it's you can be walking through Walmart and somebody can walk by you just muttering. yeah, and you feel like everything in your body goes on red alert because you know, Something is off there mm-hmm. and something is wrong. And they can just be going about their business, but the way they're going about their business just sets off everything in your brain. And the idea of, you know, imagine conflating COVID with madness. Right. Where there's a plague, mm-hmm. but what you're catching is madness. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what you start to realize on rewatches of this movie. This is not about one guy facing a horror and then losing his mind. This is about something way more insidious and and kind of unsettling mm-hmm. in the whole mix. And I just I I I enjoy this movie more and more every time I watch it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Especially like that idea of going insane, but like Sam Neill's character also realizing it too. Yeah. And there's nothing he can do about it. And he like feels the steps closer and closer to It's really interesting. And like the whole idea is interesting because like, think of like a zombie flick where that's a plague situation where everyone is turned in these horrifying little beasts biting each other or biting everyone. But this is like, there's still, they're psychotic, but there's still a frame of mind where they are intentionally doing these things. So like they can react in like a logical way. I I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense.
0: Uh, And that's, that's the weirdest part about the movie. It makes total sense. Yeah. And it, it all comes together, even though what comes together is, that things make so little sense that these characters are just losing touch with reality and it – and the fact that it's it's kind of a story within a story and it's giving you the the suggestion that there is fiction out there that could possibly open some kind of door to mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. And you're watching something that is fiction and that's based on this stuff. And so just by its very nature, it's made itself uh, even creepier.
1: Yeah, something that I was thinking about too is that idea that he, it started off as fiction, and mm-hmm. something from this other plane noticed it, mm-hmm. and then started seeping into it, like slowly, to then take over. Like yeah. they realized, oh,
0: that's a door we can use yeah. to get back into this universe. Well, and that's what creeps me out. If you if you read any interviews with, uh, Clive Barker, Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, they all have this same kind of idea that. Ideas just sort of appear and come to them, yeah. And they've all, and and other horror authors have too. They've written into stories the idea of what if this is something else out there, essentially broadcasting, or we're stumbling on something else, and we're tapping into something that's that's true, mm-hmm. and that that runs through this this entire movie. Mm-hmm. The idea that there's something just behind this layer of reality that. Interesting to talk about, but you don't want to see it. Because if you see it, God help you. So yeah, uh, in, in The Mouth of Madness, it's it's not just a great 94 horror movie. It's it's kind of one of the best horror movies of the 90s. It really stands out.
1: Yeah, it still holds up. And not to go back into it, but there, um, one of their little – thing to end it is I this time I really was paying attention to those John Carpenter Carpentery effects mm-hmm. like uh, something I just never really like I knew it was a John Carpenter film but it's just like and I love the thing and uh, all the other um all other movies, but this time I was really paying attention to like all that classic monster effects are in this too. And, and he, a lot so of fun. the same team members yeah, are you from can tell. the thing.
0: They've, they've traveled with him from project to project and, yeah, and you can feel there's, there's kind of a shared universe of effects yeah. there. It's cool. Just seeing yeah. that carry through. Yeah. I miss that stuff. Me too. All right. Uh, fine. Not finally, but we have finally arrived at this movie we've been alluding to forever. It is Clifford. Uh, Clint, without looking at notes of any kind, tell everybody what Clifford's about. <laughs> just tap into that nostalgia and those memories, and just man, how how do you describe a, a movie like Clifford? Well, even like I
1: think even outside of like the nostalgia for this film, I feel like if I came across it now, I still think it would like I hadn't seen it in years, yeah, and it still hit me as hard as like the first time I saw it. Like I, my Jenny was like saying like, there's very few movies where you just like, like she was saying this to me, like laugh and I, like consistently throughout a film. And like, I can see that you're getting pure joy from this. And this is one of those films. Um, did she enjoy it? Was this her yeah, first time watching well, it? it was like, well, she thought she had seen it and like, but she afterwards was like, I don't think I ever mm. did see that. And she was dying from it too. Awesome. Um, but it play it follows clifford who's played by martin short and he well it starts off and he's a priest like <laughs> like at this like like school like a catholic school or something and he's telling the story of his childhood to this boy who's like a problem and it goes through and Clifford is played by Martin Short as an old man and as this little boy
0: but as a boy sized boy
1: a boy sized boy 10 yes. years old and he's little he's short he's and like they really do little. all kinds of amazing like practical yep. like solutions like you know like from a Lord of the Rings, where they're doing po- false perspectives and all kinds of things to hide him
0: as this little boy. And just other big pieces of furniture and, yeah, and things but, to make him appear. Yeah, people
1: standing on boxes and whatever yeah. to make him. Um but also it's got Martin Short as Clifford, it's got Charles Grodin as Martin, his <sighs> uncle.
0: What a great when it comes to to face-offs of the ages in yeah. movies. Uh, Clifford and his uncle are just there are so many good just
1: two hander scenes where they're going back and forth. There's nothing else happening but them talking at a table going through the actions that he's taken like earlier on and them trying to hash out their differences.
0: And there's nobody in the 90s you could have cast better to to exude disdain. For this oh. child than Charles Gordon.
1: and he's hilarious. He's, he's still, just so is, he's yeah that he's, he's just such disdain for this little boy, <laughs> and he's so funny in his responses. Yeah. Like it's not just this straight man uh, wacky character thing. It's like give and take of equal yeah. like equal amount of lines that are so memorable from both of them. Uh, it's got Mary Steenburgen who plays Sarah, who's engaged to um, Charles Gruden's character, of Martin. <laughs> Richard Kind, who plays um, oh. Clifford's uh, dad. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, ben Savage plays the little boy at the beginning. But, yeah, he's this little boy, a 10-year-old boy who is a terror. It's like it's problem child. Uh, the, the seed for this movie was Bad Seed, and they thought it'd be really funny um, to... Directed by Paul Flaherty, Flaherty. Uh, But anyway, they thought it'd be really funny to make Bad Seed, but as a comedy. And initially they wanted to make it with a real little boy. And then they had the crazy idea of like, what if we got Martin Short to play a little boy? It's the most outlandish, like crazy idea, but somehow in when I was 11, didn't seem that crazy. But anyway, he plays this little boy who's a terror. He's an evil little child. He's trying to just get his way. He wants to go to Dinosaur World. His And his uncle lives in LA. And um, so he, he basically gets the plane grounded um, and goes on this journey with his uncle, trying <laughs> to get him to take him to Dinosaur World
0: mm-hmm.
1: at any cost like just causing pure
0: carn- this kid thinks of nothing but nothing but everything he does yeah. is about his end goal. End goal. And yeah. which is which is the most little kid thing yeah. that any little kid movie could ever be about.
1: Yeah. Um, but it goes like he goes to any extent like just causing pure chaos with his uncle to try to get his uncle to take him when his uncle his uncle promises to <laughs> but like work and life get in the know. way and and he's like, he's this is unacceptable to Clifford.
0: And that moment where he really turns when he realizes <laughs> that my uncle has lied to me and he is not fulfilling has his promise. Me. He has wronged me. Yeah. There is there is this and and Martin Short plays it so brilliantly. There's such this dark, angry yeah. uh root that kicks in where mm-hmm. it's like the first time this kid has realized this man is my enemy.
1: Yeah. And, he thought he was his answer to yep. going to Dinosaur World, and he yep. was being the sweet little boy, thinking that would work. But as soon as he's wronged, he's realizing like, realizing, like, no, we're gonna have to do it my way now. Ah, yeah. uh, this.
0: So, so when when you look at this movie as uh, what the experience is between a child and an adult, this is so much more dead on than most family films and i think this movie is is a hundred times smarter than anybody then gave it credit for i think they really just got distracted by these are just ludicrous performances and this is silly and we just don't get it but there's so
1: much like i and i was just constantly watching martin Short's performance mm-hmm. in this and there's so much like it's bit, like everyone's big at moments, but there's so much subtlety to the performance of Martin Schwartz Clifford, like just in facial, like there's moments where they, they kind of break from the reality of like, he's this little boy and he'll give reactions that are very like a 40 year old man would do, (laughs) which
0: is so, uh, so funny to me. But it's also, it's him as an older man telling the story. Yeah. And so, you know, I, when I watch it, I'm watching it as a, uh, almost like the Princess Bride where you recognize the fact that yeah. the person telling the story is a grandfather to his grandson yep and so there are different elements that don't feel like they would make sense to a kid well that makes total sense because right. it's an adult remembering or telling a story or whatever else yeah and and I I just I think from from beginning to end uh, premise especially uh, this movie is just... I, it's hilarious. You are you are dead on. It's so funny. There's um, so
1: many like man, people are like constantly quoting Dumb and Dumber and stuff. But I think that for pound for pound, this has so many more memorable lines that are like more subtly done, where yeah. they're not like force fed. Like this was planned to be a line. Yeah. These are just like the whole like, can you look at me like a normal boy line? He, <laughs> he improvised he that. He improvised that. That was never a planned (laughs) thing. I didn't know that.
0: That's awesome. So
1: it's just like just these performers performers who are so skilled and like are giving it and are playing off each other so well.
0: It had to be so strange because this is – so Clifford comes out in 94. Mm -hmm. Dumb and Dumber comes out. Ace Ventura, all these things. They make hundreds of millions of dollars. They get all kinds of praise. And you have to think that when they were making Clifford, they were having a blast. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, this is gold. This is exactly what we wanted to make. This is comedy gold. To release it into the atmosphere at the same time that something like Dumb and Dumber and all these things are just taking critics and audiences by storm. Dumb and Dumber is in no way any more or less ludicrous than Clifford. Right, But when you go back and you read reviews of Clifford and, and why everybody hated it, they're quoting the same things that they hate about it, that they love about all these other right. uh, Jim Carrey movies and different things like that. It's just baffling to me what the disconnect was there. Other than the fact that here's this rising star, Jim Carrey, isn't he so new and fresh and great? And maybe Martin Short and and it just wasn't a – I know. And especially like
1: you're saying, because some of the things like I was reading in reviews are saying like, he, oh, he's so grating and annoying, but it's like any more than a Jim yeah. Carrey performance in any yeah. of those films. Like, I feel like there's so so much more subtlety to this performance and like, just, I mean, the idea is crazy, but like, like you said, it's set up so well at the beginning with um, him as an old man and then looking back on his life and playing the same character, it, it makes total sense. Um, this was actually supposed to be this was made in 91 and really? set on the sat on the shelf during like a whole deliberation where I think Orion was going out of business. Interesting. And so there was, you know, all turnover and they're trying to figure wow. out. So then it was released in 94.
0: And, I mean, and see, I wonder about that sometimes because every time it seems that there is this happened with Solo and mm-hmm. some other movies. Anytime there's word of production troubles or delays or anything like that, it's almost like people are primed to hate it because there must be something wrong with it. I wonder if there was an element of that.
1: Well, I don't even think this was a movie that anybody like at the time. I don't think people knew that about it. Was shelved. It was, yeah. I mean, like. It was probably within the the company that they knew it was sitting there, and they're mm-hmm. not sure what's going to happen. But I don't think people probably mm-hmm. had that like baggage attached to it. But there probably weren't people like it was advertised that was coming out, okay. and then, like I don't think that ever happened with
0: it. Okay. It was more just stuck in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's the other thing with box office returns because it's not just how a movie's going to play to an audience. It's what week does it come out? What month does it come out? What's happening in the news cycle when it comes out? Is it the middle of summer? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. dead of winter? Is it – there's so many things that play into it. And that's before you get to marketing and what's the trailer like and what are the commercials like mm-hmm. and how much do people know about this movie. And by the time it actually gets to the screen, there's so many other factors that have determined whether there are butts and seats that, you know, that's another reason why when you look at box office totals, it's such an inaccurate judge of how – successful a movie is
1: right um there's a really good article that i just read i think it's by vulture and they did a um oral history of clifford really and it just came out like this july Hmm. and so they interviewed like a ton of people involved Mm -hmm. with it and like david letterman and um uh turn killiam Mm -hmm. like just people who are fans of it and just they went through the entire production of it and the making of it and then people's reactions to it. And uh, it was really amazing, really hmm. good. I highly recommend um, reading it. Just It was really fun to read it after watching it and see how people who were involved with it felt
0: mm-hmm. about it. And um, Now, I realized I don't have it on Blu-ray. Is it available on... Or did it just kind of stop at DVD? I don't know. I need to go I, and find I, I out. I thought
1: I had it on DVD and I, I ended up having I it thought read. I
0: had it on Blu-ray, but it was another one of those times I go to my shelf and I'm like, well, guess not.
1: Yeah, I did the same thing and I had to rent yeah. it. Um, I couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, But it's just – it's so fun. Like yeah. every performance in it, I feel like, like you were saying The Princess Bride. I think it is just as good as The Princess Bride. I think it's – I mean – as a comedy, it's way funnier. I think Princess Bride just as a story is really good. Yeah,
0: Princess Bride has, you know, it's it's kind of a try. It's it's got comedy, fantasy, yeah. and family there's film a, to yeah, it. Yeah. This definitely feels much more like I get kids can watch it. I don't yeah. think that makes it a family film. No, no, it, no. It's it's a straight comedy. Yeah, there's a lot of things
1: um, as a kid you would miss, like yeah. uh comedy moments, but yeah. I think I don't understand, like in my head, I don't understand why this isn't something every family
0: has seen. Well, we're going to bring Clifford back. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to motivate the peoples. We're, we're influencers, Clint, and we're going to influence people, uh, to watch Clifford. Any bit of Instagram power we have will just be for this purpose of getting Clifford. It'll just be all Clifford all week on Insta. (laughs) (laughs) Just pretty different sure. pictures. Different <laughs> pictures constant. of the characters
1: with like a quote like
0: from yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm I'm pretty sure we would we would quickly people would just be like, why do you keep posting Martin <laughs> short as a little boy?
1: Well that goes back to like why it made me didn't like like you were saying, like maybe Martin like Jim Carrey was just up and comer and he wasn't at Clifford wasn't I mean um, Martin Short wasn't that name yeah. like he's probably deep within the comedy world he was but like outside of that maybe not so much
0: well and Jim Carrey had that edge of coming from In Living Color yeah and In Living Color was on Fox and they were the bad boys of the networks and In Living Color was was kind of the the edgy kid SNL uh-huh and, you know, here comes Jim Carrey talent tearing into movies, and he's got these big, over-the-top, nasty characters, just like Fire Marshal Bill and all these ones he did on TV. And so it it almost feels like that was part of the momentum, whereas Martin Short doesn't have any – I mean, he's he's solid at that time, but it's not like he has some, you know, groundswell coming behind him.
1: Right. He's, like, been a consistently working comedic yeah. actor for years. Yeah. It's – yeah.
0: yeah. It's not something that's exciting. The twenty-something set, uh, you know. Even at the time, he's like your parents' comedian who remembered him from SNL and stuff like that, or yeah, because you know, he's SCTB. he's probably what in his forties at the time.
1: He was forty when he played yeah. Clifford, yeah. which I did like. They did a really good job at really it. Like I they thought really maybe do. he was. In his 30s, maybe, but like, I was like, oh, he's 40. Like yeah. they did a really good job of working
0: around that. But he has such a boyish face and mm-hmm. he has such control of his expressions. Mm-hmm. And I, I swear watching this thing, I'm like, this guy has just studied little kids and how they react and how dopey they look when, when they get mad or when they're happy or cause a little kid is just a ball of energy, especially a hyperactive mm-hmm. little kid. They're just a mess. And to replicate that in adult form, which is exactly what he does, it, it seems over the top. It's not. Yeah. If you ever have watched a child having a tantrum or going through a toy store and being told no, I mean, it's 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 a documentary performance. Well, yeah. <laughs>
1: and especially like um, they were talking in, in about how Richard Kind, his performance as a father is kind of big and over the mm-hmm. top too. But when you think about yep. Clifford as this character – Horrible little boy, horrible devil of a child. And Richard Kind's character is been dealing with him his entire life. Wouldn't you react the same way? Yep. Just be like, oh man, I want to just strangle you. Like you're my like kid, but yep. like I cannot put up with you anymore. Yep. Yeah, go stay with your uncle for yep. a week. I don't no. care. Yeah. It's it's totally justified. I mean, it's so funny his reaction. But like, yeah, when you think in the context of what's happening, like, sure, you would do the same thing. So go watch Clifford. Ugh.
0: It's just it's a delight. I ca- it's ca- just you, a delight.
1: I can't stop. Like his just his face. Yeah. is so funny to me. Yep. Like his little ticks and movements is so funny. Yeah. I uh, it brings me to the purest of joys.
0: Yeah. It does. All right. Our last movie is Leon the Professional. Leon the Professional is from Luc Besson, and it is about a uh, somewhat childlike hitman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's more fair to say Arrested Development. He just – he's not as educated. Uh, he's extremely good at what he does, but he's a simple guy. And uh, at the same time, there are some drug dealers And they kill the family of this little girl, played by Natalie Portman, uh, in, I believe, her first big role.
1: I think it was her first role. It was her
0: first role entirely. And she essentially seeks shelter in the home of this man, this assassin, uh, not really understanding who he is or what he is. And he takes her in. And once she finds out who he is, she wants to take out the uh, the, the drug dealers or the, the criminals who essentially took out her family and thus begins this kind of quest for revenge with, uh, you know, just this, this middle-aged hitman trotting around the city with what she's nine or 10 at the time, maybe 11. Yeah. She's 11, 11. Uh, Clint, what did you think when you revisited the professional
1: Well, uh, I mean, at the time, like I watched this, I didn't see this at the time. This was another one that you probably handed off to me later in my life. And I, and I liked that, I liked it at that time. Um, but revisiting it, I think I made the mistake of watching, (laughs) I watched like the director international cut of this. Oh, Clint, No. And there is so much stuff in this film that makes this film so highly like unenjoyable.
0: Yeah, the the director's cut especially. Yeah. Uh the the theatrical cut is 100% the one I prefer and it really removes a lot of the creepier elements but where where there seems to be a relationship developing. Yeah. It in in the theatrical cut it's just this girl crushing on this guy, but there's no There's no reciprocation, there's no weirdness to it like there is in the the director's cut,
1: yeah. And so that really, Uh, really flavored it bad for me, yeah. And it's like it just made the whole thing so unenjoyable Hmm. to like think about. Like, I mean, it would be fine. Like, I, I feel like I do remember like she's has like a crush on him, which would be fine, but like to get into these scenes where he's like like saying why he can't have a sexual relationship with her and in a very adult way and like him buying her articles of clothing and stuff. And then to read like up about Luke Besson, where the whole thing is based on him having a sexual relationship with this 15-year-old girl who he started like talking to when she was 11.
0: Yeah. And that's just like completely like- It adds a a real- a palpable layer of ickiness to I know
1: it. and I feel like and, and I feel like everyone is great in this movie. Yeah. I think Natalie Portman is amazing in it. And I think um Jean Renault is so fan like I love his character so much. And he does so much to try
0: to not make it go the direction that Luc Besson wants to take it. And when you go back and and especially over the years as you read interviews with him, that's very intentional. Yeah. That that resistance to allow it to go somewhere. I think it would have been much worse if he would have just done what was, what was on the page.
1: Yeah. Because he played intentionally like he was kind of slow to make it feel like he wasn't predatory towards this little girl. And like, he's kind of like, um, almost on the same mind wavelength in a way. Um, so it doesn't feel like that. And that was very smart and it, yeah. it makes him very endearing, especially like some of those early scenes, like the scene where he's going to the movie theater and seeing, singing in the rain. Oh, when he's just laughing yeah, or, laughing. or and he's, smiling like, he's like a He's finding joy yeah. in life outside of this horrible kind of existence that he has of just killing is so sweet. But like,
0: I I really could not get past that underlying. Well, and that's in the theatrical cut. He almost comes across as uh, he doesn't almost. He comes across as, as an asexual yeah. being. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't even seem to have desire or a concept of sex. And and even when he's reacting to her like dancing and things like that, he's just like, "What what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why are you being weird?" It's not like he's having some sort of feelings or reaction. He's just confused and it it really comes across as somebody who's just never never thought about it, never felt it, never anything. Right. That's just That's not That's never his been a part world. of his life. it's it's never been a part of his life and so he doesn't even have something uh, you know to kind of measure that against, but in the international cut when he's explaining things to her, it suggests he does have an understanding. Yep. And that pulls away from that he's I mean he's by no means he's not a, a like the the classic movie simpleton or anything like no, that. No, no, no. Um, but it just there, – there's just – he doesn't have that receptor that, in his There's brain. an innocence to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you see that with the John Wayne movies and that scene where they're both dressing up and trying to play the guessing game as to which movie stars they are. And she's doing these very 80s, 90s sexualized Madonna and all these things. And he's coming Marilyn out Monroe as – Yeah. And, yeah. He's coming out as John Wayne and things like that um, because that's his childhood. Those are the – the stars he remembers. And I love in the theatrical cut how it plays with that because it's really playing with this, um just this generation gap between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and, and even then, her, her crushing on him in the theatrical cut feels like a, I'm alone and I need some sort of stability. And she's going to things that she saw her mother do. hmm and she falls away from that pretty quickly throughout the film as as she realizes, no, I'm still just a little girl. Mm-hmm. And it, there's that scene where she breaks down in the bathroom when she goes in with the intent to kill uh, Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah. And just suddenly realizes, I'm out of my depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, at least in the theatrical cut, that's like, okay – this is what this movie is about. This is about this little girl trying to grow up too fast mm-hmm. in every possible way. And she realizes she can't. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, she loses her protector. But really, he was just the the purest sort of father figure or almost like a blood relative. Mm-hmm. He comes across as an uncle or something like that. Um it's it's been a long time since I've seen the international cut because I watched it back in the day and I was all excited like haha like, right whoa Ugh. yeah
1: it just completely puts it in a different context yeah and not a good especially I mean no everything that's come to light in the past couple years about and just being more aware of it yeah. like
0: it just makes it so much worse well and that has the added layer of and it's a kid yeah. Um, you know, and it, it just really, have you read any interviews with Natalie Portman as to what her mindset or her parents' mindset were at the time? Because it's interesting if he was coming from that direction, uh, you know, previous relationship and things like that, I'm sure he didn't disclose that, but they had to, when reading that script, pick up on some of the elements.
1: Well, her parents were really involved with like, uh, like there was especially, there was supposed to be a scene where like. Um, she, I'm not sure if they actually, I think they, I don't know if they filmed it or not, where he walks in on her in the bathroom, like naked and like gives her like, but gives her a towel mm-hmm. and like, they wouldn't allow that to happen. Good. And there was this, yeah. like, there was there's also like, she was supposed to be smoking throughout it. And mm-hmm. like, they were like, you can five times and you can never show her inhaling or exhaling and she has to quit. And so there was. I'm sure there was probably other instances of that that maybe they yeah. didn't mention. But like, they were really like seemed like they were on top of it.
0: And If it weren't for her parents, then and 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 John Renault, I just how weird that movie right. would have ended up being. Right. Huh. I'll have to do some more reading up on it. I
1: was doing a, a bunch, and like, because I was just like, man, this really really bothers me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it it goes beyond recent sensitivities and things like that. It's again, it's a kid and that always makes it exponentially worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, hmm.
1: and from what I read with Natalie Portman, like she still looks back on the movie fondly, like Mm -hmm. she has like, but she can, she sees the issues, the problems with it, but it's like, she never experienced anything too weird on, the making of it. And it felt like a really still an artistic, like she felt artistically fulfilled by doing it. Um, but I still like, I, I, man, just hmm. to have. Yeah. And I
0: was thinking I was, I was going to have a conversation with you about, you know, the, the very small overtones in the theatrical <laughs> cut and, you know, how did that I, change your perception now? And, but you, huh. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wish like I, could have had the time to review the. I, the, I should the, have
0: thought of it and just warned you, like, hey, by the way, make sure you're glad you watch. I did because it, yeah.
1: I, I mean, I also, it makes, because I always had, I did enjoy this film the first mm-hmm. time I saw it. And so it it's a bummer now, like having that context yeah. of that. It's like, and now I can't think of it any other way.
0: Well, and that's Gary Oldman is delivering a, a really solid uh, villain performance. Um, you know his henchmen are pure nineties. They can you know, take them or leave them, but he's great. Uh, and I'll always quote when he screams, uh, "Everyone!" I'll, yeah, I do that sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Everyone. Uh, Apparently, Natalie he Portman, did that John just Reno to make the director incredible. laugh. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, like it wasn't written that way, and he had done it many times Perfect. just subtly. Everyone. And then he like wanted to just like loosen up, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, everyone's great in it. It's
0: just like, it's got this underlying creeping factor. That's, I have, I can't go back and watch Woody Allen movies. Yeah. I I just can't, I can't separate, you know, we were talking earlier about Kevin Spacey with Usual Suspects. Yeah. And, you know, for some reason, my brain in some cases is able to separate on occasion with an occasional movie. But then there's just certain things like a like a Woody Allen situation where I just can't Right, when especially it's gonna... after that documentary. Oh, right!
1: Ugh. Especially once you see it throughout, like all his films, it's yeah. like it's just there. Yeah, like these really inappropriate relationships. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, I apologize that <laughs> the professional sorry? was a deflating experience. I'm
1: sorry if I took that in a
0: direction no, you did not expect. No, it was far more interesting. Did I you was have just... anything you wanted to say about it? Others? No, that was it was a way more interesting conversation. Okay. If you've never seen the movie, and and you don't, you know. Well, I guess at this point now, you know, (laughs) the theatrical cut plays so beautifully and watching the theatrical cut, you wonder why in the world would you ever have, and and I could even see where like you would shoot some of those scenes, uh, not realizing how it was going to play when you put it together, but. The minute you saw how how it played, you know what I mean. I could understand that kind of story, but once there's a background and there's a connection between the director and his personal life and something that's happening on screen, it's so intentional. It takes another level. It's
1: so intentional. It's not like oh, we're like the relationship goes too far. It's like no, I had this. Like it's so. It's not a oh, I misjudged
0: how this would play right? and I just miss something or I'm oblivious. It's, Hey, I'm taking something wildly inappropriate that happened in my real life and I'm just putting it on the screen.
1: Right. Uh, And I'm going to have to make this other little girl like live through it. Yeah.
0: And, and that's the Woody Allen documentary that was just on HBO Mm -hmm. uh, explored that because it was talking about, you know, was he constantly putting these things into his films, the idea of an older man falling in love with a teen girl or a teen girl falling in love with an older man? Was he constantly putting that in his movies just to justify life uh, and what was happening outside of of movies and just <sighs> – I like challenging cinema, but I like to still be entertained and I do not like when, uh, you know, sleaze in real life trickles into – my entertainment yeah it, it's and it's ugh.
1: especially a bummer because i genuinely liked all the
0: performance yeah.
1: like and i still do like i think jean renault is amazing as yeah. his character and i and it's like a very it's kind of an iconic character like just very the, much just the silhouette of him with like the hat and the coat the and round the, glasses the round glasses and the, the briefcase full yeah. of gun like that's such a cool image yeah. and w- bes- with a little girl beside oh, it, like
0: with the plant Them just walking down the street. I
1: mean, it's like the whole – every time I was like, man, I want to make like a painting of just that. It's such Mm -hmm. a cool image like taking care of this plant. But it's just like, no, I
0: don't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Uh. so True Lies, if you can find a copy, definitely check out that gem if you haven't watched it before. In the Mouth of Madness still holds up. Nice little horror gem from the 90s. Clifford is hilarious and I and Clint defy anyone to tell us otherwise. Clifford's amazing. And then the professional, man, what a, what a, let's just put a little asterisk after the professional, yeah. as in like see below, read description.
1: If you're interested,
0: and watch the, watch the theatrical yeah. cut for sure. And it's, it's one of those things, honestly, the less you know about the director and his personal life, the better that movie is. But the more you find out, the, the, the more it just, there are things in there you just start to feel icky. Uh, so uh, I believe it is time for our Sinatron spin. We have already spent plenty of time in 1994. Uh, let's give Sinatron a spin. <sighs>
1: Ken, I don't know if you caught this little comedy that came out like this year. I don't know if it came out at the beginning of this year. Is it Clifford? Mm-mm. No, nothing, <laughs> nothing that amazing. Okay. Maybe it is. I don't okay. know. Uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar.
0: He's <laughs> <laughs> got Kristen Wiig. I know exactly who it has. Do you know how actively I've been avoiding this movie? <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay.
1: I believe it's on Hulu. It is. Yeah. So it won't be costly.
0: It is. I even hated their little uh, performance at the Oscars or maybe it was the Golden Globes. They presented in character. And I was just like, I will never watch this movie. But I've watched Annette now. So, you know, none of it matters anymore.
1: I'm sure there's no creepy little uh, babies that are dolls. Maybe. Maybe there is. I don't Um, know. I mean, it's got Krista Wiig. She's always fun. She is. Yeah. <laughs> We've watched worse, I'm sure. Yes.
0: All right, this has been episode thirty-eight of CineBabble. Next week we will be back uh, with episode thirty-nine, and we will be back to some new movies. Uh, if you like revisiting some classic years of movies, make sure to let us know. Uh, you can contact us at contact at I definitely
1: want to do this more often. Yeah, I I, I really I enjoy, enjoy it. doing. I this. do.
0: I I'd like to figure out a few more segments and things we can do to to mix some things up. But yeah, man, it's fun revisiting different years of movies. Yeah, it's such
1: a good excuse to go back and watch some of these i haven't you know, seen in a long time or find new ones yeah.
0: that i missed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and and i i feel like i would imagine people will enjoy it more because then rather than having to kind of be up to speed with every single thing that's coming out mm-hmm. uh this is stuff you can find anytime or you've already watched or there's something new to discuss about it so it's fun.
1: Yeah, and spoilers um, are on you, not us.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, if we're going back to 1994 You have had plenty of time to find out what happens uh, in True Lies. And, you know, come on, man. Get up with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also visit us online at CineBabbleCast.com. And then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at CineBabble. Always happy to hear from you. Or Ken is an up-and-comer in the world of... No, no. (laughs) We, we Clint. Ready to be verified. We Clint. Uh, It's slowly... Uh, resulting in podcast listens, but <laughs> much easier to grow on Instagram than a podcast. And so we'll just—you we'll mean it's easier to watch it,
1: it a, a look at a picture that takes two seconds of your life rather than what, listen to an it hour. It takes. And a half.
0: I I am a like a museum curator. Yeah. Okay, it takes more than two seconds. Okay. It's like five seconds. <laughs> Okay. There's some there's some heavy Google searching. Okay. I go through pages online of of Google images to find all the No, I'm not saying you. I mean
1: no, I'm saying I'm not saying you are doing a bad job. I'm saying
0: I'm not saying I'm doing a bad job. No, I think you're doing a fine job. I'm doing a fine job.
1: I was saying that it requires two seconds of a Viewers of life, a viewer's time, but it takes an hour and a half of a listener's. That's true, that's, true. that's my point.
0: This is much more involved, this is more yeah. of an investment. Uh, and and I've noticed it seems that where we, where we pick up the most listens is earlier episodes, so it's almost like people are like, Oh, a new podcast, let me start at episode four. I don't know why you would do that, no. but sure, maybe okay. start the newest one where we're maybe a little better. That's what I would do. Yeah, I hate seeing. Uh, the numbers tick up for our first episode. I, I genuinely hate uh I, I almost want to hide it at times, but I'm like, no. I mean, like, we don't even have a real theme song at that point. It took us to episode two for that, but it's cute. Go there's, back no there's no continuity. There's none at no, all. Yeah, you're, you not, you're not you're gonna not gonna miss out on some subplot or character development. Some inside
1: here. joke that we've been carrying through the entire thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's fine. Anyway, this has been episode thirty-eight. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, I am Ken. This is Clint. Clint is not going to some vacation hotspot No, I've done that week, for so. the next five years. I won't go anywhere. So you'll hear from us soon. Thanks, as always. Bye, Ken. Bye, Clint.